You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer powered, listener supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Caleb Robbins with WFHB's Youth Radio. You're listening to the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023. Later in the program, we have Disabilitin, where we cover the top stories impacting the disability community across the country and around the world. Hosted by Abe Shapiro. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, Lil Bub's Low Show, a co-production between WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fun. But first, your local headlines. At the Bloomington Board of Public Works meeting on September 26th, Board President Kyla Cox Deckard open bids received for a restorative roof coating at Fire Station Number 2. All right. We received uh, two quotes. Uh, the first one is from Ancris LLC. Uh, it is in the amount of one hundred thirty-eight thousand dollars. The second quote is from BNL Sheet Metal and Roofing. It is in the amount of one hundred sixty-one thousand nine hundred dollars. Public Works Director Adam Wason said that Public Works staff will review the bits and bring a recommendation to the board at the next meeting. During public comment, Bloomington resident David Ebbinghouse thanked the board for delaying the sidewalk closure request and shared that he has received feedback from residents who are also opposed to the Gateway Project. I didn't mean to become a lightning rod for this issue, but just by chance, I've been hearing from a lot of people about this, and they're really upset about it. So basically what we want to do is not have the tower. And the money for the parks is fine. Everybody loves the parks. And a half a million dollar upgrade to the north end of Miller Showers is most welcome. But the aesthetics of it, the placement of it, the design of it, the process by which it was selected, all of these things are troubling to the community. So unfortunately, I'm the spokesperson for this point of view. So thank you for listening to my opinion. I know there's nothing you can do except to um, maybe table the motion again or even deny it. But I know public pressure is going to, you're going to have to bow to public pressure eventually. But I appreciate the fact that we got a breather to focus our public opinion. So thank you very much. Thank you for your comment. Before discussing the lane and sidewalk closure request from Reed and Sons for the Bloomington Gateway Project at Miller Showers Park, Wason spoke on the controversy over the project and the role of the Board of Public Works on the matter. I just want to start off with some general comments and uh, recognize that this has been an issue that's received a lot of attention from the public over the last several weeks uh, uh, and appreciate the board's uh, diligence in the matter. I know this is a a topic that um, has a lot of residents um, on on, um, varying sides of an issue and uh, I want to just start off where I you know I think one of the things that um, the city as a whole probably should have done better here is you know there was some comment that this is a public art piece um, and 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 that term was used Um, we've talked internally and I think I just want to make a point that um, you know we have a very vibrant artist community and um, I think if we all had it to do differently um, that this would always just be referred to as the gateway project Um, this is a welcome sign to Bloomington Uh, 
Bloomington and uh, the aesthetics of which can be debated by all. And uh, if it wasn't, wasn't Bloomington, I wouldn't expect that anything different would happen than a, a good debate about an issue. So just wanted to start with a general comment there. Um, and I also wanted to add that, uh, to make some additional comments to say that, um, you know, the Board of Public Works is tasked with um, uh, reviewing a lot of different things on behalf of the city administration and the city as a whole. Um, and that includes things uh, like use of the public right-of-way. Um, and what is being asked tonight is that the board consider use of the public right-of-way uh, to install uh, improvements to the right-of-way as well as to facilitate the installation of the gateway piece. Um, there's been a lot of discussion um, since our last meeting. I'll, um, I want to give a lot of credit to city staff um, and, and to others. There's been a lot of discussion about uh, the, the issues that have been raised, whether it was by the public or by the board, um, from everything of the um, from uh, uh, migratory patterns of birds to downlighting of the of the um, structure to um, uh, what the public benefits of the public improvements are um, and and how that is also impacted by the future um, conversation about the College and Walnut Corridor study, which is uh, currently underway, uh, being led by the Planning and Transportation Department. So um, recognizing that there are a lot of different issues that have been associated with the project, um, just wanna, uh, wanted to make the reminder to the board and to the public that um, the Board of Public Works did not um, uh, approve contracts for this project. That's not in the purview of the board in the sense that this is a parks and recreation uh, department led project that is governed, the contracts of which are governed and approved by uh, the Board of Parks Commissioners. Um, this was not a project that the Board of Public Works was asked to review from an aesthetics perspective. That's not the role that the board uh, is asked to play as, as part of their charter and, and state statute for boards of public works. Um, what is being asked of the board is to consider the use of the right-of-way and the public improvements that are associated with it um, as part of this project. Wason added that the project would also fund additional items beyond the art installation. He also addressed concerns the public brought up about birds and energy efficiency. Um, you know, some of the other smaller things that, that are included with this project that may seem small, but um, are also pretty big items, too. It includes the removal of invasive cow repair trees, you know, something we've not talked about yet. But uh, these have been um, these are um, invasive trees that have been planted all over Bloomington that create a lot of problems with uh, uh, the stability of the trees during storms and other things. Um, it'll plant 26 new native trees um, with eight uh, flowering type species that um, will we worked with the tree commission on. Um, it's got limestone block installations and uh, nine types of native plants. Um, and, and in the end, it's a gateway project for the city. Um, it's to and 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 that's that that is what it is. It's a gateway project that um, announces you've, you're in Bloomington and such. Um, and it, it does. It's been designed and worked with on a firm that does this in multiple communities. And we've got lots of examples of the work they've done. Um, I want to give a lot of credit to Tim Street and the staff and parks for hearing the public comments that have come and, and answering those and uh, coming up with some really great uh, responses and information for folks to understand. Um, there is no up lighting with this project. Um, the lighting is LED and draws um, <clears throat> is, you know, draws the equivalent power of um, about two and a half LED streetlights. Um, so there's some question on whether it be solar powered or not, but that LED is, you know, uh, an energy efficient design. Um, 
the lights are covered in translucent acrylic and then laser cut uh, metal panel um, and that breaks up the profile or the clear area that birds that the um, uh, conversation around the bird flight patterns uh, went into um, and and we have control over the lights what color they are when they're on when they're off uh, things like that but um, that's the work of Parks and, 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 and their team to really kind of outline what uh, the project is, what the project isn't, um, whether or not, um, you know, and it's understandable that the community has brought concerns and um, wants to have further dialogue about this project. And, and I appreciate that the board uh, did allow that um, with a couple more weeks. Um, I'll also note that um, in conversation with the engineering staff and other transportation professionals that when we consider the possible impacts of the College and Walnut Corridor study, um, the public improvements related to this project um, even if they were only, if, they, if it was a five-year or a seven-year, these are short-term improvements that are going to benefit a lot of residents in the area with better accessibility to transit stops and uh, better safety crossings of the busy corridor that is College Walnut and a, a lot of other safety factors. Um, and so those short-term benefits are something that we, we very much value, very much look forward to. Um, and uh, so um, I'll, I'll cut my comments there. Um, I do recognize this has been a top of great controversy, that the overall project has really gotten the, the community um, uh, talking about this. Um, you know, Parks has done a great job of letting folks know what the process was to this point. Um, this goes back to 2018. Um, it's been a long period of time uh, since the original funding was obligated for these gateway pieces. Um, there's been a lot of effort put into, you know, getting information out there. Um, and, you know, um, when when it was time for the project to go forward, that's, you know, this is when the communities really come out and, and, and provided some comments. Um, with all that said, um, it is to the board for decisions on how the public right-of-way is used. Um, we do request your approval this evening, and uh, I'll just, I'll leave my comments at that. Cox Deckard commented that she had concerns before about the overlap between this project and the quarter study. She asked if there has been any communication between the Parks Department and the College and Walnut Quarter Committee. One of the main concerns that I mentioned at the last meeting uh, was the um, College and Walnut Corridor study, uh, that um, this is an activity that the Board of Public Works um, authorized a contract to study the corridor. We're now into a phase of um, committee review um, of that, that corridor, and um, I had some concerns about how those two activities we're going to intersect, particularly as it relates to the um, right-of-way and the public improvements to that right-of-way. And so um, I know you mentioned in your comments that um, this is something that, um, you know, the benefits of the work that's being done uh, outweigh um, any kind of update that might um, be suggested going into the future um, that might require a new um, a new review of this. So uh, with that, I also wanted to um, clarify a little bit about you know I appreciate the clar the clarification that we've offered I think at both meetings last meeting and this meeting as to what the um, the role of, of public works is um, and being able to be sure uh, that we are examining this um, from a from a public works perspective so um, I'd be curious to hear a little bit more about um, the way that 
this update uh, is communicated to the College and Walnut Corridor Committee um, and how the, the city sees those interactions happening as far as, since we've got this process underway, understanding how that committee is informed of and aware of some of these updates in order to um, make good decisions as they're, they're working as well. Wayson explained that the Planning Transportation Department is working on the study, and they are in regular communication with them. The Planning and Transportation Department is overseeing the College and Walnut Corridor study as the um, department with the contract with the design with the the company running that project. Um, you know, we're in a regular communication with the Planning and Transportation staff and hearing updates on the project from them, um, and very much will be proactive. You know, if if this were to go forward, we would be, you know, they're aware. Uh, we would be certainly making the. Uh, resident advisory committee, I don't know if that's the right term for what they are or not, if it's an advisory committee or a, a steering committee, um, I think they call it a steering committee for, uh, a resident steering committee for the project that's studying the corridor, um, you know, that um, that these short-term improvements could also be considered into the longer-term aspects of that study. Um, so with the, <clears throat> for example, the ADA um, uh, uh, improvements that are associated with with this project, the um, uh, not only the ADA ramps, but the crosswalks that get the folks across College and Walnut, the internal sidewalks, the additional ADA ramps, the improvement of the crossover pedestrian refuge island, you know, all of those aspects, as well as the sidewalk on the west side of Walnut that is going to be installed to help with the pedestrian flow during this project and into the future for just pedestrian travel, like all of those aspects are going to be communicated to uh, not only the steering committee, but are part of the conversation with the planning and transportation staff as we've gotten to this point. Um, so um, throughout this whole process, we've been having those conversations of what are the impacts, what are the current improvements, what could the potential future um, improvements be, um, while very much unknown because it's under that study, it's in a study pattern right now. During final commented on the closure request, Cox Deckard shared her concerns and her appreciation for the Parks Board and the public work staff. You know, it's not uh, unknown that I've had lots of questions. <laughs> I've peppered many people with lots of questions. I think there are a lot of questions in general um, about this project. I, um, first of all, I want to say um, I respect the sovereignty of the Board of Park Commissioners. So the Board of Park Commissioners has an important role in this. Um, they are the ones who, um, you know, are, are tasked with the project in the sense of it being a gateway project. And um, I'm not in the position to question or um, second guess the decisions that they've gone through to make um, during this process. So I, I do just want to put that out there that um, I respect their decisions as I anticipate that they respect my decisions as well, serving on this board, which is looking at, you know, a variety of different issues and different concerns. So um, I just wanted to say that. I also want to say that I have really respected um, the amount of information that I have been able to um, receive when asking questions of staff and the amount of additional information that staff has been able to um, present uh, both um, public works uh, and parks 
and um, everyone who has, um, a, not the least of which engineering, I should say, Andrew Seabor, um, has uh, offered a lot of important insights to this project. And, um, you know, I'm, there, are, there are issues that I still am grappling with. You know, I'm grappling with the, the timeline of this closure um, in the sense of uh, the way that it impacts people traversing the right-of-way during this busy fall season. Um, the length of time that it is being occupied and, and closed, um, you know, is a, is a concern of mine. As I expressed, you know, I had concerns about the College and Walnut Corridor study and the ways that this might impact or change um, that process. Uh, I will say I, um, I do appreciate that the information of this project is going to be part of the College and Walnut Corridor Study Committee's review and understanding in what this might look like. So um, just want to offer uh, that comment that I appreciate that that modification has been made. Um, I'm still a little bit unclear uh, about the way that the right-of-way requests are going to move forward. Um, this is one right-of-way request, but it sounds like there may be another right-of-way request, and I'm not sure that we know um, exactly what that, what that looks like or if that's going to be um, something that um, comes to fruition. So, you know, I am, I am still grappling with some of these questions and, and issues. Um, I've appreciated everyone's public comments. I know that many of the public comments are outside of our purview, and as I mentioned, um, you know, the Board of Park Commissioners has been doing a lot of work related to this um, initiative, and, and some of those comments um, are probably more aligned with the work that they are doing um, as opposed to the work that um, the Board is Reviewing, and I also know that um, you know there there are definitely some positive benefits to the improvements um, that are being proposed in this right of way. So, uh, just offering the fact that you know I'm still trying to process uh, this timeline and this information, and um, it's a it's a complex project um, that has many different people involved and many different people looking at different purviews. Um, and so I think that that has made this um, a little bit difficult for us. Cox Deckard said that since she still has questions, she is not ready to vote on the item. Board member Elizabeth Karen also made a comment. She shared that she is in favor of the right-of-way request. Under Bloomington Municipal Code 210000, the Board of Public Works is established as the General Administrative Department for the following divisions, boards, commissions, and councils. Sanitation, street, fleet maintenance, housing quality appeals, community arts, animal care and control, and all physical facilities with the exception of property managed by the Utility Service Board or the Board of Parks Commissioners, emphasis added. I take my role on this board very seriously, and I have a responsibility to our community to ask questions, work with public works and other city staff to deeply consider the items before us, and to listen. In the item before us tonight, we are being asked, appropriately so, to approve the use of the right-of-way to improve the public infrastructure within and around Miller Showers Park, as presented by our city's engineering department and referenced by our public works department tonight. These approvals are within our purview as the Board of Public Works, as written in the code. 
We are not being asked for our approval to complete the gateway work within Miller Showers Park, which instead is under the purview of the Board of Park Commissioners. As a reminder, this Board of Public Works is statutorily defined to deliberate only those requests appropriate for our board to decide upon. It is important that my colleagues on other boards trust that I am not overreaching my purview, as I trust that they are making decisions for that which they have been statutorily defined. It is not up to me as a member of this board to consider the gateway work within Miller Showers Park. Questions or concerns about the relative merits of the Gateway Project, including its desirability, design, artistic merit, cost, and funding, are all topics for other statutorily established entities, elected officials, and city staff. It is up to this board to consider only the right-of-way requests before us. And thus, after taking time and a lot of thought to review the responsibility of this board as it relates to this project, I will be voting in favor of the right-of-way use tonight. Thank you. Karen motioned to approve the sidewalk and lane closure request. The motion did not receive a second and failed. The next Bloomington Board of Public Works meeting will be held on October 10th. In today's feature report, we have Disabilitin, where we cover the top stories impacting the disability community across the country and around the world. Hosted by Abe Shapiro. Shapiro has more. Good evening, I'm Abe Shapiro. And this is Disabilitin, where we cover the top stories impacting the disability community across the country and around the world. We're back after a lengthy research sabbatical to bring you the latest in disability news. We start off tonight's installment by reviewing the developments of our previous story, this one out of White Plains, New York. It's the civil action case of Westchester Disabled on the Move, or WDOMI, versus the rideshare company Lyft, over Lyft's alleged lack of wheelchair-accessible vehicles. The original lawsuit was filed in 2017 by White Plains resident Harriet Lowell, on behalf of individuals with mobility disabilities who are, quote, pervasively and systematically excluded from Lyft's convenient transportation services, as Lyft does not provide wheelchair-accessible vehicles in White Plains, end quote. Following our interview with WDOMI attorney Jeremiah Fry Pearson and Plaintiff Lowell one month ago, a hearing was held on August 31st, presided over by Judge Philip M. Halpern, who scheduled the next court date for December 12th, when a trial date will be set. As the date of the next hearing nears, Disabilitin hopes to bring Mr. Fry Pearson, WDOMI representatives, and Plaintiff Harriet Lowell back on the show for further details. For the first time ever, a major airline plans to give travelers with disabilities a tool to help them find accessible flights. On September 28th, United Airlines announced it will be offering travelers with disabilities a new accommodation to make traveling easier. By entering the exact dimensions of one's wheelchair with the tool, Passengers with disabilities can better determine which flights feature doors large enough to accommodate their specific mobility devices. Other reforms announced by the airline include reimbursing the cost of travelers when flights offering improved accessibility are more expensive than the traveler's original flight. 
along with specialized seating at terminals for passengers with damaged wheelchairs or who are waiting for their wheelchairs following security checks or arrival at the airport. Such reforms have been announced following United concluding negotiations with the U.S. Department of Transportation concerning a 2022 complaint from one Ingracia Figueroa. Figueroa's motorized wheelchair was damaged during a 2021 United flight, after which she was forced to sit in an inaccessible wheelchair for hours after landing. Figueroa's attorney argued the incident caused injuries, allegedly leading to Figueroa's death three months later. On September 12th, Senators Sherrod Brown of Ohio and Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana proposed the SSI Savings Penalty Elimination Act to raise limits for those wishing to apply for Social Security for the first time in 34 years. This legislation comes as the Social Security Administration is attempting to reclaim billions sent to the nation's elderly and disabled populations, funds which were more than what they were entitled to. According to a 2022 report by the SSA's Inspector General, quote, the department, that being the Social Security Administration, recalled $4.7 billion of overpayments, but $21.6 billion was unaccounted for, end quote. Overpayments from the Social Security Administration often result when the department makes an error in the process of examining a beneficiary's application or from beneficiaries themselves failing to comply with requirements. If beneficiaries have already spent the money they were overpaid, the Social Security Administration will require the beneficiary to pay back the money they were overpaid in full by halting or decreasing monthly benefit payments, garnishing wages, or halting tax refunds intended for those beneficiaries. Such strategies can cause undue hardship financially. Social Security Administration officials cite complex rules, incorrect data regarding income limits for Social Security beneficiaries, and inadequate staffing as the reasons for why overpayment continues to occur. The general limit for an eligible beneficiary of Supplemental Security Income, SSI, or Government Assistance to Individuals with Disabilities in Poverty is $2,000 in assets for an individual and $3,000 for couples, though such limits haven't been adjusted for inflation since 1989. Also last Thursday, the U.S. Department of Labor announced it will be examining what is known in the disability community as the Section 14C program. In 1938, the Fair Labor Standards Act was passed, setting minimum wage for the first time in American history. According to the law, employers of persons with disabilities may submit an application for a 14C special certificate, which permits them to pay said persons with disabilities a salary less than the federal minimum wage of $7.25 per hour. According to an October 1st article by Disability News Service, Disability Scoop, quote, such a review comes at the urging of disability advocates and other entities, including the Government Accountability Office, the National Council on Disability, the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, and the Labor Department's Advisory Committee on Increasing Competitive Integrated Employment, end quote. In 2014, President Obama passed the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act, which stipulated paying people with disabilities below the federal minimum could only be implemented if prior options for vocational rehabilitation or training individuals with disabilities before graduating high school were unsuccessful. That is, training individuals with disabilities for employment following high school. According to a report from the Government Accountability Office issued this year, 
workers with disabilities across the country earning subminimum wage has decreased from 296,000 to 122,000 between 2010 and 2019. And just last month, the Department of Labor demonstrated that such a number has now dropped below 43,000 following 16 states passing legislation not only limiting but prohibiting the practices of subminimum wage. And our final story this evening takes us to the highest courtroom in the land, where the holy grail of disability civil rights, the Americans with Disabilities Act, or ADA, is under judicial scrutiny once again. The case is Atchison Hotels LLC versus Lawfer, and asks whether individuals with disabilities have the right to file a lawsuit against a business under the ADA if they do not visit it. The plaintiff in this case is one Deborah Lawfer of Florida, who has a vision impairment requiring usage of a cane or wheelchair. Lawfer is what is known as a, quote, tester, end quote, in the disability civil rights community, or someone who investigates ADA violations in order to bring legal action. The case dates back to September 2020, when Ms. Lawfer first filed in the U.S. District Court of Maine, while attempting to visit reservation websites for two hotels operated by Atchison LLC, Lawfer discovered that the sites did not provide adequate details regarding ADA accessibility at the hotels. Lawfer argues she has grounds to sue based on two portions of the ADA. First, Title III, which reads, quote, no individual shall be discriminated against on the basis of disability in the full and equal enjoyment of goods, services, facilities, privileges, advantages, or accommodations of any place of public accommodation by the proprietor of said accommodation, end quote. These places of public accommodation include hotels. Enforcement of this title falls to the United States Department of Justice, who drafted regulations prior to the ADA's passage in 1990. The regulation, known as the Reservations Rule, stipulates that hotels, quote, with respect to reservations made by any means, end quote, must, quote, identify and describe accessible features in the hotels and guest rooms offered through its reservation service in enough detail to reasonably permit individuals with disabilities to assess whether a given hotel or guest room meets their accessibility needs, end quote. The Supreme Court must now decide whether or not Ms. Lawfer has what is known as Article III standing under the U.S. Constitution. Under such standing, Ms. Lawfer would need to satisfy the following three standards. One, that she suffered a concrete injury. Two, that such injury resulted specifically from the defendant's actions. And three, that such an injury will be fully resolved should the court rule in the plaintiff's favor, the plaintiff in this case being Ms. Lawfer. On the other side, Atchison Hotels LLC asked the court to dismiss Lawfer's case for, quote, lack of standing, since Lawfer had no intention of staying at their hotels and was therefore not injured. Previously, this argument was sufficient enough that the District Court of Maine dismissed Lawfer's case, after which she appealed, end quote. In the coming days, Disabulletin will cover the arguments made on both sides of the courtroom, arguments which are slated before the court tomorrow at high noon. Abe Shapiro, WFHB News, Live and Learn. Now it's time for Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production between the WFHB Local News and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We turn now to that segment.
Welcome to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a weekly co-production from WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. We highlight adoptable animals with special needs in South Central Indiana and spotlight topics to promote human animal welfare. First, here is today's featured animal. Today's featured animal calls the EFRC home, and her name is Georgia. Georgia is a savanna cat. So what is a savanna cat exactly? A savanna cat is a cross between a serval and a domestic cat. This cross was made in an attempt to create a domesticated version of the serval. However, it's important to note that these are still considered exotic cats, and they do not make good pets. Georgia was discovered as a stray cat. She was found wandering around Peoria, Illinois. A family was able to catch her after learning that their neighbors were leaving out fried chicken for her to eat. Georgia can be very shy, so she was moved from the main tour area to a more secluded enclosure. She really enjoys surveying the area from her very high perches. In recent years, there has been a lot of interest from people wanting to purchase and breed exotic cats as pets. We don't condone this at all, and with good reason. Servals are wild animals. They are not domesticated cats. In their natural habitat in Africa, serval cats are solitary predators. They live alone, defending a large territory against other servals. They roam savannas and wetlands while hunting small prey. They can reach up to 40 pounds in size, have high energy levels, and are quite adept at climbing trees to hunt and escape predators. While these exotic cats may look similar to our domesticated pet cats, they are not domestic animals. Remember, if you're looking for a pet to call your own, please adopt, don't shop. You can visit your local shelter or rescue and take home an animal in need. Exotic animals should never be pets. You're listening to Lil Bub's Lil Show, a co-production of WFHB and Lil Bub's Big Fund. On today's episode of Lil Bub's Lil Show, we're talking about our friends at the Exotic Feline Rescue Center. We've talked about them before, But in case you don't know them yet, the Exotic Feline Rescue Center is located in Center Point, Indiana, about 45 minutes outside of Bloomington. The EFRC was founded in the early 1990s and serves as a rescue center and forever home to many exotic felines and recently a few foxes who have been abused, unwanted, or neglected. Today, the EFRC cares for over 100 cats and foxes, representing over 10 different species. Their facility spans over 200 total acres, and they are currently building an on-site veterinary clinic. They do not breed, sell, or buy any animals, and next to caring for these amazing creatures, their biggest job is educating the public about their work. The EFRC offers daily guided walking tours, which is a great way to learn about their work. The tours last about an hour, and on the tour, you'll learn the rescue stories of many of the creatures in their care, from privately owned pets to retired circus animals. 
You'll also learn how the EFRC takes care of these animals and how you can help. A great day to visit the Exotic Feline Rescue Center is this Saturday, October 7th, for their fall festival. They'll have tours of the center running from 10 a.m. until about 3.30 p.m., with vendors on site from 11 a.m. until 4 p.m. You can visit their website to learn more at efrc.org. Thank you for tuning in to Lil Bub's Lil Show on WFHB, produced in partnership with Lil Bub's Big Fund. For more info on today's featured animal and topic, find us online at goodjobbub.org and wfhb.org. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information available at mpisolarenergy.com. been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Krahuski Schneider in partnership with CATS Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Abe Shapiro. Lil Bub's Lil Show is produced by Christine Brackenoff and Stacey Brodovsky. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is your engineer and executive producer, Cade Young. And I'm Caleb Robbins with WFHB's Youth Radio. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Spectrum a program exploring the world of science and technology coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local, longer, longer.